to Ablaze Ministries International Podcast. We are the youth and young adults of Hope Church Brisbane. For more information about our ministries, weekly gatherings and activities, please visit our website at www.ablaze.org.au. And right now, get ready for an inspiring message and start living out your God-given potential today. God. Whoa. How many of you are enjoying the wet weather? I see some of you. <laughs> good on you. Good on you. I don't always enjoy the wet weather. I, I like the sunny weather. Yeah. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. We've, I guess we've been sharing different parts of the Bible the last few weeks. Uh, but we can continue to share today from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And we're going to look at verse 1 all the way to verse 15. Shall I be back there? Let's see how fast I can get to different devices, Bibles. Acts chapter 17. Okay, well, we, we want to read uh, verse 1 all the way to verse 15. So if you're with me, read with me verse 1 all the way to verse 15. And uh, it doesn't matter what version you have. We can read it together. Hallelujah. Are you guys ready? I don't think it's up there. Yes, you haven't got that yet. How come you skip? Is it not working? Okay. I thought you went a bit further than me. Anyway. Okay, are you guys ready? Can we stand? Let's honor God's word together. Let's we'll read it together. Let's read it with faith in our hearts. Verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them through the scriptures, <coughs> explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them to the crowd. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, This man have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post-born and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of a more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greeks, uh, Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, 
they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord, that even tonight, Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. Lord, may your Holy Spirit make your words alive unto us. Cause your word, Lord, to be unfolded to us. And Lord, may your words impact us deep inside. So Lord, we just commit each and every one of us unto you today. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take our seats. Well, we're, we're preaching through a series at, at the moment in our church. We're calling it True to God. Uh, that's, that's why it's up there. You see the little doggy? He's so true to the master, waiting for the master to come back. And uh, <coughs> so in, in this series, we're going to talk about different aspects of what it means to be true to God. And uh, of course, one, one key area that, that we need to be maturing in, if we are going to be true to God, one area that we are to mature in is in our character, in the condition of our heart. And one aspect we're going to talk about today is to be noble-hearted. Can you tell your neighbor, noble? Now, what does it mean to be noble? You know, have you realized that this term, this word noble, is hardly used today? You, you, you don't hear people saying, this is the noble prime minister. You don't hear people using that word very much at all nowadays. Now, if you were to think of all those, you know, different superheroes now you see in movies, which superheroes would you consider to be noble? Okay, let's put up, how, how many here are noble? Don't put up, you put up all the pictures, you're not supposed to put them up. Giving them the answers. What other what other superheroes? Think through, think through all the different superheroes you've seen in the movies. And why is it you think some of them are noble, and maybe some of them are not noble? Right, and that's something just useful. As, as we're going to share about it today, to think about these things. You know, of course, I, I put up Captain America and I put up uh, Superman because in, in comic or folklore, you know, these two characters are two of the most prominent characters that are known for being noble because they always do what is right. Superman will always do what is right, even when he doesn't like it, even if it means a lot of problems for him he will do what is right. It's the same thing for Captain America. He will always fight for the right thing. No matter what's going on, he will do what is supposed to be done. And that's the kind of man he is. Not like Iron Man or Hulk. He couldn't care less. He just smashes everything. All right? Uh, the Black Widow, well, she's a spy and she, she, she do, you know, lies and deceptions and, and all that kind of things. And, and different things. So there are different different superheroes who, yeah, when you look at them, you say, oh, I'm not so sure truly how noble they are. So we want to talk about being noble-hearted. And, you know, when we begin to look into this passage of Scripture, I'd like to share with us some things. As we look at the journey, journey of Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle has been 
traveling through an uh, area called Macedonia, and in this passage, he's gone to two cities. What are they? What are the two cities? Can you remember what we read just now? What are the two cities? Thessalonica and Berea. Of course, right at the end, he went to Athens, but we're not going to talk about Athens tonight. We're going to talk about Thessalonica and Berea. And one of the things you find really interesting is when you examine the attitude of the Jews in those two cities. There's a huge contrast between the Jews in those two cities, and that helps us to understand something about this as the different aspects of being noble-hearted. So tonight, I, I want to share about three aspects about what it means to be noble-hearted. The first aspect is having an integrity in their hearts. Can you tell me about integrity? Integrity. If you don't know what the word is, we'll, we'll get to it. And uh, when, when you look into uh, verse 5 to 9, as you look at that part of the story, you begin to see what was happening in Thessalonica. So in Thessalonica, Paul and his team, they, they went to the synagogue. Synagogue is just a, a sort of a Jewish, little Jewish temple kind of thing where the, the Jews would come every uh, Saturday. This is the Sabbath day, and this is where they would read the scriptures, they would pray, you know, and, and so forth. And so he went there, and he began to share about Jesus. He began to share about the good news. But you find there that the Jews, many of the Jews there, they did not like what Paul was sharing. They got rather upset. They were opposed to what Paul was sharing. And, uh, but the thing is, when the, the way in which they opposed Paul was so underhanded. They were, they were very sneaky and, and uh, evil about, unrighteous about this whole thing. So what, what did they do? Well, one of the things they did, they said, well, we, we don't like what Paul is doing and, and we're going to stop this guy. So they, they went out to uh, the marketplace. They began to look for bikies. They began to look for smugglers. They began to look for, uh, what do you call it, mercenaries. They began to look for guns for hire. They began to look for all those troublemakers. And they say, hey, do you want some trouble? Do you want to see some trouble? Do you want to bash somebody up? Well, we'll tell you what, we're going to give you some fun. And so they rounded all these people up. They began to, to cause a, a riot in the whole city. People were up in arms. And they say, get rid of Paul. Most of them didn't know who Paul was. But we were told he's a bad guy, so get rid of Paul. Get rid of this guy. Down with Paul. And so they marched through the city and they came and, and tried to look for Paul and Silas. Fortunately, Paul and Silas were not around. So they grabbed, they grabbed one of the brothers and uh, brought him up to the, to the uh, courts. And they began to, to claim all kinds of things. They began to say, well, do you know what this guy is saying? Do you know what this Paul is saying? He says, there's a new king, a king named Jesus. And this king is going to take over Caesar. You know, this is the kind of things they're saying. I say, hey, this goes against the law. Caesar is our emperor. There's no other king except Caesar. But here's this guy who is causing trouble, saying there's a new king who's going to take over, a new king who's coming. And so, of course, none of this was true. But they didn't care. All they wanted to do is to get rid of Paul and his friends. And you see, this whole approach, this whole attitude is so different from the Jews that were in Berea. And so we begin to see this contrast. We, we see that uh, the, the Jews in Berea were noble-hearted. And they, the way they approached things, they approached with integrity. Can you tell me about again, integrity? Integrity. We're going to grapple with this tonight. 
So one of the keys uh, of those who are noble-hearted is that they live with integrity. You know, I, I really admire men and women who lead their lives with integrity. They are, they are the kind of people who will not exaggerate things. They are the kind of people who will tell the truth. They will not try to twist and distort the facts and the reality so that it gives advantage to them. They don't do such things. They are honest people. People who have integrity, they will tell the truth. Now, how many of you know the truth is not always convenient? The, the ex-Vice uh, President Al Gore said the inconvenient truth. Truth is not always con convenient. Truth sometimes can be very embarrassing. It, it can be very uncomfortable to us. Uh, and so it, some, it sometimes takes courage to tell it as it is. How many know what I'm talking about? It takes courage sometimes to tell the truth. Because sometimes the truth can mean a lot of trouble for us. Sometimes the truth is not neatly packaged. It can be rather messy. And it, it may not be the kind of mess that you like. And you say, oh wow, I'm not sure I can handle the truth. Sometimes the truth is, does not shine a light in a way that's flattering to you. You know, have you ever seen those, uh, some of those TV shows, the boy takes the girl out on a date, and usually they want to have candlelight dinner, and the girl likes it because she looks better in a candlelight dinner. <laughs> and uh, you, you don't take the girl out, and then you can't shine the spotlight. <laughs> oh, you see every, every acne, every, <laughs> you know, every flaw, every discolorment, every, oh, no, you know. You, you don't do that. You, you, you want to have the soft lighting so that everybody looks good. And you know, the truth is not always so, so nice sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's challenging sometimes to deal with the truth. Sometimes people deny the truth. They don't want to live with the truth. They try to hide the truth under the carpet. Have you ever done some uh, cleaning in your house? You were asked to vacuum and and there was some pot that was kind of dirty, and you, you pull a little rug over it, and you move it over. <laughs> Say, okay, I don't have to do that bit. And you, and, or you have some, some dirt, and you just shove it under the, the cupboard or something, and uh, it just kept going on because it's too inconvenient to bend down. And, you know, and, and that sort of thing, the truth is not always easy. But those who, who have integrity, they will tell the truth. So having integrity is about being consistently honest. You can tell a neighbor consistency. It's about being consistently honest, not only to others, but to yourself. You're honest to others and to yourself, and you're consistent about it. It's not like, I, I told the truth last week. I haven't told the truth since, but, you know, I did tell the truth last week. I was honest last week. Well, that's not it. If you're a person of integrity, you, you will be consistent and be honest. But also, integrity is more than just being honest. It's more than just telling the truth. Integrity is about somebody who in their heart, they, they have a solid moral framework. Inside their heart, they really have it. They say, I, I want to be a person of righteousness. I, I want to be upright. I, I want to have strong values. I want to do what is right. So they have this uh, moral framework inside that says, I hold by this and I live by this. I act according to this. How many say amen to that? Amen. That is the person of integrity. So in other words, 
They live according to the moral principles, and they're good, upright, exemplary, inspiring moral values. And so what they act outside is what they live at home. What you see on the outside is what they're, at, they're like when nobody is watching. That is a person of integrity. Now, you, you might say, okay, so, so what's, what's the difference between honesty and integrity? L- let me tell you a story. Long time ago, there was a movie. I'm sure most of you haven't seen it. Uh, but it's called The Scarlet and the Black. If you, if you want to know about it, you can Google it and you'll, you'll find out about it. There's a famous actor by the name of Gregory Peck. And, it, and the story is based on a true story. A man named Monsignor Hugh or Flagdery. Uh, what a name. Monsignor just means a very senior priest in the Vatican. And he has a spev- very special post in there. And uh, old Flagdery, so he's probably Irish, I guess. Anyway, this Monsignor, he was based in Vatican City during World War II. And it was around 19, in the, in the, uh, nearing the end of the war, in the 1940s towards the end of the war. Now, in that time, the Monsignor and his associates, his friends, his both in the ven- Vatican and outside, during the time of the World War, uh, you know, the, the Germans were uh, sweeping through Italy and all these things. And there were many Allied uh, soldiers and so forth who had to flee for their lives because they were losing the battle. And as they were running away, one of the, one of the things this Monsignor did was to help them to escape. Because the, the, the Germans, and not only the Germans, but the Nazi, the Nazi were, were rather ruthless uh, bunch of, of uh, German soldiers. Uh, they, they would, this, this Nazi, the Gestapo, they would seek after these ones and often they would torture them and, and do all kinds of things to these prisoners of war. And so, uh, and this Oflectory, this Monsignor, would, would secretly help them escape via his, his connections in Vatican City and, and surround and all that. Now, there was a Nazi colonel, and his name was Kepler. And Kepler, he, he found out that this Monsignor was helping all these this, this people escape. And so he, he, was, he was really, you know, didn't like it. He wanted to stop this thing, but there was a big problem. You see, the Vatican City had a peace agreement with the Hitler. So the Vatican City, which is a, a, a small country all by itself, you could not do anything in that city, in that, that country. So the Monsignor was in there. So he had immunity. Nobody could arrest him. The Germans couldn't arrest him while he was in Vatican City. But the, the German Nazi knew that. And so in the end, he told, he told this Monsignor, if you step out of the Vatican City, you're a dead man. And, and he would post snipers, you know, uh, around outside the Vatican City. Uh, and you know, there were boundaries of Vatican City. And they were in the other buildings, and the snipers would look at this guy as he walks through the, the, the church buildings and the different buildings. And they would be watching him. If he would just pass the line, and of course the movie, they make it very dramatic, and the guy would walk up to the line. There's a line here. He'd walk up to the line, and he look around, and the snipers are all, you know, <laughs> and he's, and he go back and carry the gun. <laughs> you know, just like that. Uh, but in the midst of all that, for years he was doing this. And uh, some of his associates were captured, they were killed by the Nazis. So the pressure was really on. And there was intense pressure as he would sneak out at night and try to help different people to escape. But eventually, the war turned. Eventually, 
it came to the little parts of the wall where the Germans were, were now losing the war. And the Allied forces begin to land and begin to take back different parts of, of Italy and all that. And the Germans now had to begin to flee. And and what in that one time, while all this was breaking down from the Germans, this colonel went to see him but wondering what what is this guy all about what he's going to do and amazingly this Monsignor uh, when, when he met this colonel the colonel said to him I know you hate me so much because I've been going after your life all this time I know you hate me so much because I've been hunting up all these people and you've been trying to save them but now we are ready and I know that you are a man that will do what is right. I have a wife and a son. And if I get captured, they will get trialed with me. And I don't want them to be thrown to, to the prison as a trial. Because the, the Nazi guy, he did a lot of useless things. And he told the Monsignor, please save my family. The Monsignor was so angry. And he told him honestly, you are such a terrible man. How dare you ask me to help you now? You who butchered all these people, who killed all these people, and now you ask me to save your family. So he was so angry, he walked away and, and left the, the colonel to, to fight. The next scene that showed, the Allied swept through and they captured this colonel. And he was, he was confused. And they were interrogating him. And they were saying, where is your family? And they couldn't find the family. It turned out that the Monsignor had even without the colonel there. You see, that was not the end of the story. After the end of the World War, the Monsignor went back and visited the colonel again and kept speaking to the colonel. Months and months and months. And finally, he said, I can't take this anymore. History records that this Monsignor probably saved about 7,000 Jews in and out of camps in his time. Here's a man who was honest enough to tell the colonel his feelings about the colonel, but he had so much integrity that despite how he felt, he did the right thing and saved a terrible man. More than that, he felt enough for that man. may do things that we honestly don't want to do. If we have the courage to do the right thing, we make it romantic and we do it. You know, what, what, what are those things that would motivate us as followers of Christ to live such a life of integrity? It is when, when we have conviction that integrity is a, one essential component of us to be more like Christ. When we truly believe, yes, Jesus is the person of a great integrity. Jesus is the person who is noble hearted. That is why we want to grow in that. That's why we want to be better than that. That's why we want to be a person of integrity. But you know, to live a life of integrity, we need to be humble. 
Bible says in Isaiah 32, verse 8, it says, The noble man makes noble things, and by noble deeds is known. In other words, when a noble person, when he makes friends, he can't help but make noble friends, because that's what he's all about. And you're going to know what a noble man is like, because you're going to see the way he acts, the way he behaves. It just oozes of nobility. You can't help but notice, hey, this guy, whatever he does, you know that his integrity is, is without question. Why? The Bible says that God looks upon everyone. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 24, verse 3 to 5, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Wow, what a promise. I, I want to walk up the hill and say, Lord, help me with clean hands, pure hearts. I want to live a life of integrity. I don't want to just have lots of success, lots of uh, titles after my name. You know, those sort of names that you have lots of uh, characters after your name. Name from A to Z, all the many, many characters. I don't want to have all that and have no integrity. Because in the end, God is not going to ask how many uh, titles you have, but God is going to say, what kind of man or woman are you? Are you someone who has clean hands and pure hearts? That is what God's going to ask. How many say amen to that? Amen. And so it's important for us to live in, in integrity. Let me also share with you the importance of integrity. In integrity is so important in our relationships. Can you look at your neighbor and say, integrity is important. Integrity is important. Why? Because if you have integrity, your friends know you can be trusted. Why? Can your friends just hand you their whole wallet and say, please take care of this while I'm doing something else? Can your friends hand you your car keys, their, their car keys, and say, yeah, you can use my car anytime. You know, you can use my house Anytime, here's my house key. I, I know you're not going to trash my house. <laughs> I know you're not going to have a wild party in my house while I'm away and, and leave it in a mess. So uh, we need to know this in, in our relationships. In the church, even, even those who are leaders in our midst, you need to be a person of integrity. You know, because people want to believe in our leaders. And they, they want to be able to know that, yes, these leaders are going to live their life, conduct their life in such a way that people can see integrity. They know that they can trust you. Because if we don't, then people say, well, I, I'm not sure I can follow you. What did Paul say? Follow after me as I follow Christ. I'm not sure I want to follow you. Because you, you don't seem to be following Christ. In, you know, Jesus is heading north, you're, you're heading west, you're going west. I'm not sure if we're going the same direction. And so we, we need to, to see this. You know, one of the things, for example, uh, I, I made a decision a long time ago. I, I made a decision a long time ago that one of the things is I, got to, I want to value people. And that's, that's one of the principles I live by. And because I value people, I, I make sure I never take advantage of anybody. That I don't manipulate a situation for my own advantage to disadvantage somebody else. So I, because I value people, I want to give respect to every person. I was talking to, to, to one of our pastors 
uh, just today, and I was thanking him for having a Skype conversation, uh, giving me the time of the day, you know. And he says, Joseph, you don't have to thank me. We're friends. I said, yeah, we're friends, but I still value the, the, pun, the point that you gave me your time because I know he's a busy man too. And so and that's just the way I, I like to treat people because people are valuable. So even when the pressure's on me, I, I make sure, hey, I don't, because the pressure's on me, I don't, I don't take it out on others because they are important. You know, one of the things I really appreciate is people who have driven me to the airport. Some of you have done this, and I, I really appreciate it. Just driving me to the airport and drop me off when I fly off elsewhere. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful for everybody who's been helping me out just driving me to the airport. And I, I know it takes their time, but it, it costs them something to, to do that, that journey with me. Uh, and so I, I, I really value that. And so that's because in my heart, I said, I want to value people. And so these are, these are aspects of integrity where you say, yes, I see this is value and I'm going to live by it. I, I'm going to really value people or I'm going to respect this thing about people. I, I, I'm going to uphold this principle because I see it's so important. How many say amen to that? Amen. And that, that helps us so much. And when people look at you, they say, ah, I can see this. This guy, he does value people. What, what he does or what he says matches. It's the same thing in your school. It's the same thing in your uh, workplace. When, whatever you're doing, if, if you show integrity in the way you live your life, people know they can trust you. How many say amen to that? Amen. When the teacher says to you, did you or did you not do that homework all by yourself? Well, I had some help. Mom probably helped me a third of the time. Dad helped me the other third of the time. <laughs> and my brother did the other third of the time. I did 10%. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, you have to, if you're a person with integrity, you're going you're gonna to trust people. How many say amen to that? Amen. And that's the challenge for us. But if you do that, and you learn to live like that, you can truly begin to live a life of integrity the rest of your life. We have to start somewhere. So I want to encourage us, let's pursue integrity. Now the second aspect of being noble-handed is to be fair-minded. When, when you look at the Bereans, one aspect that really stood out about these Bereans is that they were fair-minded. What do I mean by that? Well, they were fair-minded enough to object, objectively consider new things. Look at this in verse 11. It says, now the Bereans, you can look in your Bibles, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness, examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, you, you've got to remember this. What Paul was bringing to them was a totally new message. They've never heard this before. They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't hear about the gospel. They, they didn't understand what Jesus did for them. But Paul came and said, you know the Messiah, the, the, the Old Testament, the, the, the scriptures that the Jews had, it's talking about this man who came and died for us. <coughs> God in the flesh. And so, what did they do? They didn't say, oh, kabush. You know, you must have dreamt this up. They didn't say this. They said, hey, let's go back, let's check it out. Were all these things prophesied? Were the scriptures talking about these things? So they didn't allow any prejudice. They didn't allow any doubts to stop them. They really checked it out. They were fair-minded. 
there, they would say, well, let's look at this objectively. They did not just reject it out of hand. You know, one of the things is this. It's so easy sometimes for us to have a fixed framework of the way we think. Say, this is the way we think. And then we are comfortable with it, and we don't want to change from it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is the way I see things, and I'm happy with it, and I don't want to change it. And so the danger is we conveniently reject anything that seems to be different from this framework of thinking. You know, it's like saying, I don't want to hear it. I, I don't, don't change my mind. I've made up my mind, and I don't want to be troubled with the facts. I've got a picture here that, that suggests, you know, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with facts. How many of you have done that before? Come on, be, be honest here. Are you a people who done this? <laughs> yeah, don't tell me this because, you know, your, your, your parents say to you, please eat the Brussels sprouts or the broccoli or the spinach. It's good for you. Don't tell me the facts. I don't like vegetables, so I'm not going to eat those vegetables, right? So don't confuse me. But that means you're, you're rejecting something out of your comfort zone. But can I tell you something? That's not the way God wants you to be living. Do you realize that if you're not willing to change the way you think about things, you're not going to be able to change the way God wants you to change. Because sometimes some of the areas that God wants us to change is not comfortable. Some of the areas that God wants to change is not according to the way that we like. Something that may not be convenient. Something that may even confound us. But really, God wants us to progress, to mature in our thinking, in our understanding, in our attitude. You know, the Bible says this, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 11, 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. What did he say? You are slow to learn. So he's the writer of the book of Hebrews is is rebuking his hearers at that point in time. Verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Have you ever seen anybody eat a little baby's steak? Did you like steak? Well done. <laughs> you know, no baby can, can, can digest that food. They can't even chew it. They have no teeth yet. On the other hand, do you feed a grown-up adult baby milk? You see them coming to you. What are you having for lunch? Milk. You know, what are you having for dinner? Milk. You know, you say hey, something's wrong with this guy. Right? You might love milk, but you just don't keep drinking milk, right? You, you still have some solid food. And in the same way, the Bible is saying, hey, some of you guys should be growing up now. You shouldn't still be drinking milk quality understanding of the Word of God. You need some solid stuff, some great food. Get your teeth into it. That kind of stuff. How many say amen? Do, do you guys ever get your teeth into your Bible? I mean, not the literal chewing of the Bible kind of thing, but get into it. Getting your, your arms dirty, getting the Word, you know. It says, I want to really get into this. I, I really want to study this. I want to understand what it's all about. So are we 
able to consider new things in our life? Are we able to, are we open to be challenged by the scripture? Are we, are we open to be challenged in the way we live our life? Are we willing to consider it objectively? Are we willing to look at the scripture and, and begin to look at it and look at it different angles? Do we take the Bible and say, hey, you know, I, hey, I'm looking at it from this way, from this angle, from that angle. Why? Hey, you know, if I look at this, if I read this passage of scripture and read it if, as if I was a Jew, I would see it in a totally different point of view. If I read it as a Gentile, whoa, that's a totally different point of view. I'm, I'm trying to read the Bible from the 21st century, but if I went back to the 1st century, whoa, it's different again. If I, if I try to get myself into the shoes of, of the people in those times and hear what that Bible verse is saying, maybe I'll see it quite differently than today. Have you thought about these things, looking at it from different angles? If I read it as a, as a, a leader in the church, well, how would I view the whole situation? If I look at it, if I was just a new believer, how would I look at this whole thing? And so forth. What sort of angles can you look at? Somebody said, wow, because you know, when you look at things from many different angles, you begin to expand your understanding of what it may be talking about, what the Bible may be talking about. And, and that's why I like, I like to study the Bible. I, I like to read many good books, good articles that help me see that passage, a particular passage of Scripture from many different angles. And it gives me a greater, broader understanding of this thing. It's the same thing with our lives. Not just talking about the Scriptures, but even in our life, are we willing to look at different situations or different ways of thinking from a different angle? To say, whoa, if I look at it in a different light, it's totally different. Am I willing to expand the way that I think? So I want to challenge us. Are we willing to be objective, fair-minded when we consider new things? And, and I want to challenge us, broadening up your, your view of things round about us. Sometimes we can be so narrow, we say, well, all I want to do is what I do. Uh, I just The things that I know from school, the things I know from home, that's all I want to know. But are we willing to expand so that we understand more? If you're noble-hearted, you'll be willing to explore new things. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. Another aspect, uh, when you're fair-minded, is that you're willing to treat others objectively and fairly. You see, the fair-minded people, their heart is they want to view people in an objective fashion. They want to view people in a, in a fair way, rather than to be based on bias or prejudice or, or wrong information. They don't want to just jump to conclusions about people and label them in a certain way. You see the Thessalonian Jews. They did not treat Paul fairly. In fact, they were so prejudiced that they were utterly opposed. They really wanted to get rid of this guy. Let me show you a map. And this map, oh, it's hidden behind. But anyway, uh, okay, can you see the Thessalonica on my right-hand side? And this thing with the red uh, sort of balloon thing, that's Berea. It's about 60 kilometers apart. In those days, they would have walked, most of them. And so to walk 60 kilometers would, take, would have taken them two solid days, if not three days, of walking. And so what the Bible said is that when Paul traveled to Berea and began to share to the Jews, the Jews in Thessalonica heard about it. And what did they do? They traveled two, three days. They 
travel by foot, they walk all the way to Berea to cause trouble in Berea. That's how much they were against Paul. They were so prejudiced that they pursued him all the way there. Wow. You know, when we deal with people, I want to say that let's be gracious to them. Let's show the goodness. Let, let our love and mercy uh, be, be more evident than any judgment that we may have to make. Let's show grace first. Of course, sometimes we do have to reach a judgment about certain things. But first and foremost, don't jump to judge, but show grace and mercy. How many say amen to that? Amen. That's what it means to be fair-minded. Look at this uh, incident with Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 2 to 11. Most of you will know this story. It says, at dawn, he appeared, this is Jesus, <coughs> appeared again in the temple court when all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in, caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? The Bible went on to say they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they, they figured, how, you know, Jesus is so compassionate, he's so merciful, surely he's going to say something to try to get her out of this situation. He's not going to allow us to stone him. And therefore we have it, because he will break the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses says stone her. So, so they looked to him. And, uh, and, but Jesus wasn't doing anything. He didn't say anything. You see, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So, so Jesus, instead of answering them, he began to draw things. On. So I, I don't know what he said. I don't know if he was drawing Chinese uh, or Hebrew. I, I don't know what he was writing. And, uh, and so when they kept on questioning, so they were getting frustrated. They said, come on, Jesus. So what do you say? Stone her or not stone her? Stone her or not stone her? And he said, Jesus bent down and writing. And then he straightened up. And he said to them, if any of you, if anyone among you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and continued writing on, on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older one first, because the older ones realized this, hey, I have got some kind of weakness here. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened her up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, said Jesus. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and live your life of sin. What, what did Jesus just do? I believe that Jesus still upheld his principle. He did not compromise the intent of the law. Because what was the purpose of the law? The, the real intent of the law is to cause people to turn back to God in repentance. And so I believe Jesus knew that that woman had repented already. So there was no need to condemn that woman. But what she needed was mercy and grace. Because grace will empower people more to change in their life than condemnation ever will. So so Jesus upheld with all 
opportunity and humongous. He did not rush to judge that woman. He did not rush to condemn this woman. But he was fair to her. He showed her grace at the same time. And so, you know, sometimes pe- people get all worked up. There are people who, who will read the scriptures and, and they like to put things in black and white. And they say, this is the line. This is the line that we understand from the Bible. This must be the line. And if you step across the line, it is kapow, kaput, you know, the end for you. That's the sort of thing. And so if anybody steps across the line, they, they just jump on them and begin to accuse them of all kinds of things and say, well, you will call yourself a Christian. You are supposed to live a life that's up to this level and, and you have failed. So you, you surely can't be a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you're not much of a Christian. You know, all that kind of accusations uh, they were making. The thing is, they seem to have little grace, little patience for people that they meet. And I wonder how it would be if they begin to realize God doesn't see them as this. I don't know about you, but I find that God is gracious to me. And I'm not far from His gracious grace. And He's patient with me. But these guys, they're not patient. And I wonder if, if God behaved in the same way. If God drew a line and said, the moment you step past this line, I'm going to jump on you. Can you imagine? God has this angelic police. The moment you do something wrong, when you step across the pedestrian crossing and the light is going red, when, when your car speeds a bit too fast, you know, all these things, when you do something wrong, you don't hear the angelic whistle, beep, caught, you know, pay a fine, go to go to jail in heaven, something like this, you know. You, you don't find God has an angelic police force that does all these things because God does treat us with grace. And how many say, Amen, thank you, God. You know, thank God He's gracious to us. Let me go on now to the third aspect, the last aspect, and it's about being noble-hearted. Those who are noble-hearted, they are humble. In verse 12, it said, Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And so what we find here is that they are humble enough to say, wow, I'm willing to listen to what you have to share. I'm humble enough to accept what you have to share because I now recognize I do need this Savior called Jesus. I do need Him. And so they were willing to turn to God. And so one of the things we've got to realize is it is not possible to be noble-hearted unless we are first humble in our heart. Think about it. If you're not humble in the heart, you cannot walk that walk of a noble-hearted person. Because if we're not humble in our heart, we will not be willing to change. If we're not humble in our heart, God cannot speak into our lives. If we're not humble, then truly we will not walk in God's grace. The Bible said this in Psalm 25 verse 1. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them in His ways. When we are humble, God can guide us, God can instruct us, God can help us change in our lives so that we can be more and more like Jesus. How many say amen to that? Amen. Shall we pray tonight? Let's do that. Let's just have the (coughs) worship team first do that. Father, we, we just thank you so much. Lord, for your word. And we pray, oh God, even tonight, Lord, as we, as we come before you, 
we have read the story about the Jews in Thessalonica and Berea. Father, we can begin to see the difference between these two cities and how the people behave so differently. Lord, we can see the belief that they were people of noble hearts, but they had integrity. They were fair-minded, and they were humble as well. Lord, we pray, help us learn from this as well, that we too can grow to be noble-hearted. Amen. For Lord, we, we begin to realize, Lord, that even in recent times, Lord, the whole concept of what it means to be noble, it seems to be fading away. People don't talk about being noble much anymore. They don't talk about this kind of integrity and fair-mindedness. Living a life of solid moral values in a way that's exemplary and inspiring. Father, we pray, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. Lord, to help us, that Lord, we may desire to be noble people as well, that we may look to you, because Jesus, he lived a noble life, he showed us what integrity is all about, oh, help us to live that and to help us, we just invite you here now, just speak to us. sense tonight that there's some amongst us it's almost like you <clears throat> I just have this sense almost like you're having a conversation with God and you've been saying to him I don't think it's possible that I can be noble enough just like God you see my life and I mark up so many times so many times Spirit of the Lord has been saying to me that it is by His grace and by His power. If you are willing to yield yourself to Him, the more you're willing to yield yourself to Him, the more God is able to work through your life and my life. And God can truly bring you on that journey that you may grow more and more to be noble-hearted. Because that's God's desire for Truly, you may walk a walk of integrity 